as an athlete, you know uh, what feels right and what feels wrong. You know if your body doesn't quite feel right, whether you should push it for that last set or actually you feel your hamstring niggling, so don't push it. You know if you're kind of cheating on yourself, like, oh, you know, I actually was a bit too lazy today, but yeah. I really should have done it. Welcome back. My guest this week is Olympic gold medalist Amy Williams. Amy won her gold medal in the Vancouver 2010 Winter Olympics, competing in the skeleton event. She is also the first GB athlete in 30 years to win a gold medal in the Winter Olympics and the first female athlete to achieve this for 58 years. After the Olympics, she was awarded an MBE in 2010. This conversation was a really interesting insight into how important consistency, self-belief and discipline is and how they compound into success. Amy is now a speaker TV presenter, athlete, and personal trainer. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's go. Amy, thank you for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to talk about your journey. Um, it's not every day you talk to an Olympic gold medalist. So yeah, first things, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. No, it's honestly great to have you here. And I was, as I was saying before recording, I'm going to probably stump you now with a deep question to start with. <laughs> so you're an Olympic gold medalist. I'm curious to know... Straight off the bat, how do you define success? What's your definition of success then? Oh, that's a toughie in one sense. <laughs> um, oh, success like it can mean so much to so many different people. For me, success is, is achieving your goals. Is I mean, that sounds a bit too simple. Um, you know, you set yourself a goal, daily goals, monthly goals, yearly goals, um, huge goals, little goals. It's, it's reaching them. It could be simply, I want to eat super healthy for one week and not eat crap and not have alcohol or whatever it might be. Sporting wise, it could be, you know what, I just want to put 10, 10 kilograms more on my squat by the end of the month. Um, and obviously huge goals and success would be, yes, win an Olympic medal. Um, for me, my success at the Olympics before going into those 2010 Olympics um, I just wanted to do my very, very best. And that sounds really kind of cheesy, but yes, I knew I could win a medal, but for me, if I put down consist consistent training runs, consistent race day runs, um, feel like I'd executed all those small little process goals, you know, whether it was first place, second, third, fourth, or 10th, you know, if you can really hand on your heart, think, I have done everything physically and mentally possible and given a hundred percent, then I'm happy with that outcome. Mm. Um, so I think that success, it doesn't necessarily mean medals or coming first, second, third, that success is maybe an intrinsic feeling or feeling like actually I gave it my all. I worked so hard and I can go to bed resting at night thinking, yeah, you know what? I beasted that. Like I couldn't have done any more. Hmm. That's kind of more a feeling of success for me. And in terms of goal setting, then, like you said, what's your philosophy on that? Because I've spoken to a few other athletes who have just been so goal driven and it's been about the end product, end product. I want to get there, get there. And then others have said they've almost learned to live more purposefully through the journey. What was yours? Yeah, mine was never, ever focusing on medals and standing on a podium. You know, if you if I look back at videos of me in Vancouver, 
I look like stupid. I'm like, what do I do now? I've won. Like, what do I do with this flag? I, you know, I never thought or, or kind of visualized me standing on the podium. Yeah. And, you know, some people, maybe you should actually visualize it. But, you know, day one, when I really concentrated on sport and, and got into skeleton was, you know, it was drummed into you. If you don't concentrate on those process goals, you won't get the outcome goal. Mm. If you don't process on, I don't know, if you're a swimmer, your swimming stroke, you know, how you dive into the pool, those little breathing techniques, or if you're a tennis player, you know, I'm rubbish at tennis or anything, but, you know, that backhand or, you know, how you hit the ball, the follow through, whatever it might be. If you don't nail those simple things daily, then you won't win anyway. So, you know, the, my last thoughts, even at the Olympics, um, at the top of the track, my very last thoughts were, well, number one, enjoy yourself. Number two, take a nice big deep breath. And then already when I was pushing my sled, it was drive my knees forward, eat the ground up, like all my little cues that I had, which were technique orientated. And then as soon as I was lying on my sled, it was have that perfect body position. Day one, when you're learning skeleton, it's head down low, shoulders low, feet together, tuck on in, be aerodynamic. There, you're kind of very last sort of thoughts, not, oh my goodness, I could win a gold medal here. Because if yeah. you thought that, you wouldn't think the technique and that process of getting you down the track fast. Where did that originate from? Where did you first think, right, Olympics could be a potential? Was it something like when you were a child and you aspired to be that or was it later? I mean, I remember watching, um, you know, different Olympics. I, I didn't actually grow up with the TV. Um, we didn't get one until maybe I was about 16. So, I mean, we were just outside, you know, mucking around and, and yes, doing sports clubs and athletics clubs. Um, athletics clubs, sort of 12, 13, 14, you know, yes, I loved competing. I loved doing the races. I loved kind of upping kind of from a Tuesday and a Thursday night training. And then suddenly there was a weight session on a, on a Monday night. And then there was a hill session on a Sunday. So I liked that kind of that feeling of doing more and more training and, and getting better and better and, mm -hmm. and competing every weekend, etc. I do remember watching uh, Sally Gunnell win her 400 meter race in the Barcelona Olympics. And, you know, she was standing on the podium. She had that Union Jack flag around her. And I guess though that kind of Olympics um, and that kind of Colin Jackson era, the Denise Lewis, your, um, yeah, Jonathan Edwards, you know, that kind of era of athlete, I think probably really stuck with me. Um, I'm watching those Olympics of just what, what would it feel like to be the best in the world? You know, what, what would it feel like to stand on a podium? Um, so, yeah, I think it just kind of was a natural process of, yeah, like I said before, not necessarily concentrating on what it would be like to win, but just that internal, well, I want to run faster. I want to lift heavier. I want to feel fitter. I want to be stronger. And that kind of process, I think, is what drove me, that kind of internal feeling of I want to be better and do better. And I know I could be better. So let's just keep training harder and harder. And I'm not going to stop until I feel like I can't be any better. How did it get from you're 16, you're training, you're wanting to be the best, you're wanting to get as good as you can. Where did that break then? And you start thinking, right, the Olympics is actually very achievable. I could get there. Like, when did that happen? 
Um, so I found, so yeah, I guess I should sort of say, you know, that transition from athletics then mm. into finding skeleton. For me, I mean, I just literally lived in the right place at the right time. So I lived just on the outskirts of Bath and at Bath University, they built this special skeleton and bobsleigh Star Trek. So that was built in the summer of 2002 before the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics, where we won a bronze medal in skeleton and we had a bobsleigh team as well. So I literally just got chatted to some people in the gym one day and they happened to be bobsleigh skeleton athletes and they were going off to this Star Trek to do a session and I sort of just invited myself along to say, hey, can I have a go, please? Um, and so I sort of got myself into the sport from that power speed sprinting background that then sort of translates into that powerful speed, explosive start of a skeleton run. Um, and if I very sort of fast forward through, you know, I kind of paid my way to go on a special army ice camp um, as a civilian. There was a few of us. Paid my way, did a two-week course there in Lillehammer in Norway and basically got myself on the team and then very slowly worked myself up through the levels of competition. Hmm. And I guess, yeah, as you're just naturally working your way up through those levels of competition with each year, with each kind of winter season, you're getting slowly better and better. You're learning more about yourself. I guess the big turning point was just before the Turin Winter Olympics in 2006. We had one place for a female, and I think it was two places for uh, a guy. And that's all off your world rankings as a nation. So I knew I had a chance of going to those Olympics. I just had to be top-ranked girl in Great Britain. So it was that sort of competition season before that um, the girl who got to go, Shelley Rudman, who ended up getting the silver medal, she was just always that little bit better. You know, in every race, she was just that little bit more and just that little bit faster. Um, so she went and I went as reserve. And I think that was a big turning point for me, knowing that, hang on, I so did nearly make it. Um, and we came home with a medal in those games. And that's for me when the sort of blinkers went on when I became obsessed with, I have four years and I am not gonna miss those next Olympics. I will be in Vancouver and I will be going for, you know, well, yeah, in one sense, I will be going for a medal because otherwise, why are you there kind of a thing? Yeah. Um, but like I said, it was that real four year sort of obsessiveness of every day, every decision will be aimed at, will this help me go to an Olympic games? Yes or no. And so I became quite cutthroat in my decision making, how I trained, the kind of obsessiveness. Um, and to be fair, anyone will know, any top athlete, you have to be quite selfish. You know, your decisions are for you and for your performance only every day. Um, so I guess, yeah, from that sort of four years out of the Olympics, it was a real kind of big turning point for me. So for those four years then leading up to that Olympic Games, what, what would your lifestyle look like? <laughs> Uh, probably quite dull to the normal <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so I at the beginning I was still working so I would be in the gym when it opened up at six o'clock I would do my first weight session so um I used to spend a lot of time doing stability warm-up exercises you know all those boring dull ones that stop you getting injured the really important ones that no one else sees so I'd spend a good 30-45 minutes doing loads of really small stability warm-up exercises then you do a main heavy weight session 
I'd then go down into Thornton's chocolate shop in Bath, which doesn't exist anymore. And I would put in a shift from, I think, kind of like nine till 4 p.m. I'd then go back up to the university, the university, do either um, a sprint session or a push track session, whichever was on my program, um, drills, you know, some kind of run in drill based uh, session. You might have a physio appointment um, and then, yeah, you'd go home, you'd eat your food, you prep for the next day, you'd stretch maybe a bit more, you go to bed, you sleep, you wake up, you do the same thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, we would mostly do two sessions a day, every day. Um, Sunday would be a day off. Saturday, you might just have one big sort of run-in session or push track session. Um, and yeah, I mean, the week was kind of mixed up with maybe... I was on the physio bed a lot because I've got really dodgy knees and back. So I did spend a lot of time with my physio. Um, <laughs> you might, you know, study the tracks or do your own kind of um, homework, I guess, on all the ice tracks. You might study your track notes, uh, you know, get to know your equipment more. Stretching was always a big one, you know, that kind of core stability, um, a lot of core strength stretching sessions. Yeah, so it was kind of mixed up. Uh, and then eventually I quit my job and, you know, I'd got onto lottery funding. I moved, I was moving back home at this point. So I didn't have to find quite as much money because I lived with my parents. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're just a full-time athlete, resting, training, eating, sleeping, <laughs> repeat. Yeah. That's it. You, know, you don't do anything else. What was your why then? Was your why to get that gold medal? Was there other reasons at the time that inspired you? Yeah, I guess those last kind of four years. Yeah, of course I wanted to get a medal. Of course I did. Yeah. And I think that naturally comes from, you know, your races in the build-up. So I was on that World Cup level. I'd got a silver medal in the World Championships in 2009, so the year out of the Olympics. Nearly every uh, training runs on each track I put down a fastest run and was always in that top three. So it was just that consistency throughout um, training, uh, like winter training on the ice, mm. kind of split our life into a summer life in the gym and then a winter life away on the circuit. So when you know you're consistently beating the other girls from all nations on every track, you know, but I never won a race. I was always second, I was always third, I was always fourth. And I would always put down fast runs in training. So I think when you know I've beaten every single girl on the circuit, pretty much on every rate, on every track in a different place in the world. So I know I'm up there. And my sprint and my start time, I was always in that top three. So top three fastest sprint. Hmm. So you know you can beat everyone. So at that point, it's like anything that wasn't a medal would have been a disappointment. Um, right. I'd got a silver medal in the World Cup race the year, again, the year before on the Whistler track in Vancouver. So again, I knew I had medaled at that track. So similar. Um, at the Olympics, you get three days of training, two runs a day, so six runs to learn that track. And I was putting down some of the fastest runs in training. So I was always in that first, second, third position. So similar, like clearly you want to do better than your training. So I, I knew actually hundred percent, I'm going to medal. I, I could, I could medal, not I should, and not I will. It was like, I could, I, I could medal here. Yeah. And then I never thought about it. 
Because like I say, you just do that process. You do the consistent things all the time. Don't do anything differently on race day. And I knew if I just concentrated and was consistent, then that medal would just naturally happen anyway. What was the hardest bit then? Like, What was your relationship like in terms of not failure, but in terms of missing out ever so slightly on those first places when you got second in that Olympics where you went as a reserve? What was your attitude like for that? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, failure for any athlete is is tough. Um, and it was really hard um, to accept, you know, not going, uh, missing out on those Olympics, going out as reserve. I did all the commentating for the radio, actually, for BBC Five Live. And I went out because I wanted to learn from the experience. You know, mm. I wanted to know what it felt like to be at an Olympics, you know, those extra nerves, the energy in the air. So, you know, I told myself to use it as fuel, to use it as fire in that belly, you know, to get that drive and that motivation from it. And I think, you know, whether it's an injury, whether it's um, missing out on a team, whether it's failing in a competition, you know, you just learn from it. Every time you learn something about yourself, you know, missing out on those Turin Olympics was a really big turning point for me because, in hindsight, I realized that I spent so much time focusing on the performance of the other girls, of the other competitors. What are they doing? Why are they faster? What warm up do they do? You know, what are they doing on their sleds? And almost that took away from what I should have been doing. Mm. You know, so I think you always learn something different about yourself and how you can improve. Um, you know, I encourage anyone to write it down write all these things down your thoughts your feelings uh what you did how you yeah how you felt um you know i actually um i've just written a book and um just about to be printed and one of it, it's a kind of good tool book so um i go through almost that last year of my olympics and i pluck out all you know 10 different chapters and one of them in there is um a tool of how you can become very aware of what you're feeling uh what's your body language like how do you react with failure or when things go wrong or when yeah. things are positive or negative you know and becoming very aware of that behavioral changes the emotional changes um, and just writing it down um and i kind of do examples for me and then i leave blank pages like right this is what you can do bring this book with you to competition and you know i always encourage people to have a notebook you know write things down all the time because you'll look back at that, that like a year later and you can learn from it and learn how you knew you felt or what you were feeling or those nerves or anxiety. Um, and then, you know, switch it around to into a really positive thing. That's great advice. I think a lot of people look at, and this is society in general, they look at people who have got to these amazing positions, people they aspire to be like, and sometimes they think they just landed there. But then talking about the hard times, the difficult times, you need to use that, don't you, to get the best out of yourself? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it's yes, at an Olympics or whatever, it looks like it's easy peasy for everyone, but you forget everyone was a beginner. You know, yeah. you only have to look at, you know, beginners and think, oh yeah, actually that's, that's super hard. And you have worked so, so hard to, to get there. Yeah. And everyone's had failures along the way. Everyone's had bad injuries. Everyone's missed out on teams and selections. Um, but that just makes you more and more passionate and makes, gives you more and more drive. It gives you more and more focus um, and allows you to look at yourself 
set new goals, you know, really look at your performance, find those 1% in all areas of your life that you could improve on. Um, you know, I encourage people to write, do a pie chart, um, which I always put in my book, actually, you, you know, draw a pie chart up of every area of your life in your sport. Mm. Um, is that your technical side in your equipment? Is it your nutrition? Is it your lifestyle? You know, when you go to sleep, is it um, your strength training in the gym? Is it uh, your psychology work? You know, rate yourself on a scale of one to 10. You can soon see the areas that you know you need to improve on and then write yourself goals, you know, and then you've got these small little stepping stones that you can do, you can achieve, you can tick off and just constantly improve. What other tips can people do then to live more purposefully and get the best out of themselves? I think it's it's having that purpose, isn't it? It's having mm. that that goal. And I think it can be really hard. And sometimes you go through phases of life that you just don't really know what it is, or you're going for a bit of a change. I think now in COVID times, it's made a lot of people reevaluate their life, their jobs. What do they want? What do they want to achieve? Um, and, but I think, yeah, it's taking that time to sit back, be really honest with yourself, uh, write what you want in, in life, in relationships, in work, in jobs. Um, you know, what is it that you want to achieve? It could be something tiny. It could be something huge. And for me, it always comes down to um, that physical and mental well-being. So mm. actually the power of exercise. Um, I did a talk yesterday morning at seven o'clock in the morning to um, Hong Kong. And that was for a big company. And we sort of ended up on that almost like actually scaling down an athlete to you at your desk is could you just drink more water? You know, can you hydrate better? And the effects of being hydrated on your concentration, on your performance, on your well-being. Could you just get up every hour and walk about and stretch a little bit? You know, do a quad stretch, do a hip flexor stretch. Um, you know, just open up your chest. Um, go for a walk around the block. You know, actually the, the feeling of movement and letting those endorphins flow through you can be enough. You know, if it's just 20 minutes at the end of the day, walk around the block, don't hold your phone, don't have music, just look around you, take deep breaths, use it as a bit of a, an active meditation whilst just getting those endorphins flowing. Um, I think it can be quite simple things just to um, have that headspace and think about what you want and what you want to achieve. Mm. And do you put some of your success down to the habits that you implemented when you were chasing that gold medal then? So I can imagine it being a very, very high pressured environment trying to aspire you're the elite of the elite but then sometimes you need that switch off time don't you to look after your your well-being yeah for me as an athlete that switch off time was like was super important um you know back in those days I had like a little portable dvd player you know I'd bring around my dvds and you know for me once my work for the day had done I had done my training session I'd done my stretching I'd done my sled preparation I'd eaten to, to sort of lie in bed and just watch a movie, to switch off from everything, to go into another world was so important for me. And I really needed that. Um, if we had a very rare afternoon off or something, you know, and, and my German friends were free and they had done all of their prep, it'd be like, right, let's find that one coffee shop and let's just go for a hot chocolate. Yeah. You know, it was switching off from that competitive environment and just becoming a normal human being again yeah was was really important for me um and yeah I still think is well, something now that I don't really get chance to do <laughs> um, 
being a busy, crazy mum of two kids and yeah, um, self-employed and whatnot. But I, I still tell myself to do it and I tell other people to do it. It's like everything. It's still super hard to try and do uh, in, a, in a busy life. I can imagine. And it is, it's those little simple habits. They make such a big difference, don't they? You know, I do quite a lot of what you do, like journal, write down your feelings, write down what you're thinking. You know, I first read it in a book um, and it was, I think it was Matthew McConaughey, actually. Uh, I think for about two or three years, he wrote down how he's feeling. So if he was going through a bad stage, you'd go back and look at it and think, wait, what was I eating that day? Who was I talking to? What was I consuming? And then you get rid of it in the good days, he'd do the exact same thing. And it's so important to really understanding who you are, what you like, what your purpose is. And I think that's the, that's the first step to finding your purpose. Yeah, totally. Um, and you know, that's some, I don't think you always know what your purpose is. You know, you go yeah. through little transitions, retiring as an athlete, you're suddenly someone else again, and you don't know what you want to achieve anymore. And you have to start from square one. Um, becoming a mom like suddenly you're a different person because your children are the most important thing and your mm. priorities suddenly just shoot down to the bottom um you know and I think everyone has those moments in life where you're not always going to know what your purpose is or what you want to achieve and that's fine like it might be a 10 yearly thing or a five yearly thing or you get to the point you're like I actually really want a career change here let's do it let's be brave let's try something new um and I just think be courageous and listen to that feeling inside, feeling of that gut feeling of, am I happy mm. doing this? Am I not happy? And can I just be brave and like go out there and try something? Um, and I, I do think this last sort of 18 months has really made people do that with the whole COVID situation, um, you know, ultimately striving for happiness um, is really important. Oh, 100%. And my next question is probably the question you've been asked the most, but it's probably the most complex as well. You win the gold medal. What were your feelings like at the time? Was it fulfillment? What was it like? Our first feeling is just relief. You know, really? Relief. Yeah, relief that I've done it. I'd finally done it. Um, you know, I'd won that medal that I knew I could, um, that I had executed my plan that I had done my best, that everything had come together. That was four years work down to those two days. So yeah, it, it, that was the first feeling was just utter relief, um, being proud of myself for being able to do it. Um, and then you're just exhausted, <laughs> like utter yeah. exhaustion because it has been literally four years of build up every day. Um, and just at the Olympics, you know, the environment and, you know, you are under a lot of stress. Um, we needed to win a medal for Great Britain in skeleton to keep the sport alive, to keep the funding going. And, you mm. know, hers of the, you know, the targets and medals that you need to bring home. Um, and then obviously you're, you know, you're immensely proud and walking through the media zone and Claire Bolden's telling you, you know, that's the first individual medal for 58 years yeah. and 40 years since a gold medal. And you're like, oh yeah, wow, I didn't know those stats and figures. <laughs> my name there and, you know, my name is forever in the history books. And, and I think that moment really then hits you like, wow, no one can take this away from me ever. Like you're always an Olympic champion. Um, someone might, you know, do it four years later, but you'll always have your medal and your moment in history. So um, yeah, I think you're just immensely proud to be able to bring home that medal for your for your nation, for your country. And did you feel like when you got that gold medal, it was just 
you've done it it's almost like that self-actualization moment everything you've worked for you've done it now or were you were you like right I want I want more no I mean it was a feeling of like yeah I've done it I've cracked my code I know how to win everything worked everything went to plan you know it wasn't fluke you know that was like hard hard graft and you know I've been through my fair share of injuries of failures of not making the team of you know all the issues that you can have as an athlete I'd been through it um Mm. and you know no one sees that hard hard work that you do every single day no one was else was in the gym at six o'clock in the morning when I was there doing all my small exercises Mm. that kept my body glued together so that I wouldn't get injured and you know, and I, I think that's what makes you proud of yourself that you got through all of that and you did it yourself. Um, you know, you had that big team around you, you know, you're an individual sport, but you know, you do have that physio and your strength coach and all those people around you, but ultimately, you know, you're doing it yourself as an individual. So yeah, I think it's that, that daily grind and hours and hours every day that finally you're like, oh, that that was worth it you know Mm. I I did it like pat yourself on the back um yeah and no I mean I I did continue a little bit longer in the sport I took a bit of time off um and then yeah I mean ultimately politics and injuries I decided to step away and although I I truly believed I could go off and win another Olympic medal um yeah a, a, a lot of stuff sort of had blocked me from being able to do that anymore so yeah I felt it was time um sort of halfway through that Olympic season to kind of walk away be happy that I I'd done it and yes I believed I could go and get another one but it was sort of out of my hands so mm. yeah walked away um you know with your head held up and absolutely thought, yeah I'm, I'm I'm happy with that innings yeah, phenomenal. And you said now you've got a book coming out. What's it about? I do. Um, it's pre-order already now. Um, yeah, it's out on the 8th of October. You can pre-order it now. It's called Talent to Triumph, How Athletes Turn Potential into High Performance. So I've written it for the kind of teenager age group. Although if you're switched on 12-year-old, it's 100% fine for you. Equally, if you're a businessman, man, pick it up and pick up tips. Um, but yeah, it's basically got like 10 chapters, sort of selecting your sport, barriers, teamwork, goals, mindset, um, training preparation. And it's, um, it's not an autobiography as such. It's more kind of top tips, lessons. I have over 25 other athletes uh, that you might have just seen in Tokyo from all different Olympics, medalists who have given their top tips, um, quotes, inspiration, interviews. And I've pulled their knowledge along with my own. um, Yeah, to kind of make it into this really cool tool book, I would say, to be able to help you find those little 1% of how you can increase your performance. So yeah, it's pretty much for... Any athlete who's been inspired by those Tokyo games, any athlete that wants to reach that next level, whether that's just, I don't know, reaching their their school football team or actually, yeah, I could have a shot at the next Olympics in four years and how can I improve my performance? Um, so, yeah, I'm super proud of it. I mean, it's been like 11 and a half years in the making. Oh. <laughs> um, and finally, this last lockdown. So it's been 18 months of working away, typing away. Um, I've done every drawing diagram myself. Um, it's a definite 
third child labor of love um <laughs> yeah um i'm pretty excited about it and you know what i think it's so important you know i'm a teacher as well so that kind of age range i think it's so important for them to have that toolkit going forward because i don't think there's an awful lot for them to learn from those lessons i think health and well-being is becoming more and more important prioritizing their mental health teaching children that it's okay to fail and you know aspire to be whatever they want to be so i think a book like that a toolkit like that is going to be phenomenal but there's nothing to be fair there's nothing like it there are obviously athletes yeah. bringing out autobiographies but this is quite different it um it it's across all areas and this book you know i've got athletes from all sports winter summer um i've got sir ben ainsley sailor sailor to you know rebecca adlington swimmer to wow. victoria pendleton to jason fox sas you know i've got a huge range of of people mm. um and yeah i mean i've got chapters on like dealing with media and the attention you know how do you deal with that in this day and age when twitter and instagram are so huge yeah. um, you know, how, how do you deal with the, being a longevity within a sport? How do you keep that going for so long? Um, yeah, how, I've got chapters on managing setback and fear and injury. So what did I do? What did other people do? You know, this is how you can look after yourself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to get this book out there to, to all sports clubs, to, you know, universities, to, to any budding, aspiring athlete of any sport. Um, so yeah, I'm super, you know, really excited about it coming out. And um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be just when it gets into my hands, it's like, you know, I've just, you know, the front cover's out there. We've designed that. I've done everything from picking the font. I mean, I literally have it in front of me here. I mean, this is it. I can wow. see it. No one else can see it, but you can. We're flicking. <laughs> I'm on um, it. <laughs> back page, always aim high. Nothing's impossible, you know, and I think, um yeah, oh, when I get it in my hands, I'm going to have a little glass of champagne. I won't lie. Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be good. It will be good. I think it'll be amazing. I think it's going to have such a positive effect on so many people. I can't wait to get a copy for my class because I know they'll absolutely love it. Right. My last question, which I ask every guest, what is the one piece of advice that you've been given that you think you live by every day? Oh, so many. Um, however, our home in on... I. It's a bit of a strange one here today. Um, I'm going to tell you to just listen to your gut feeling. That's what I'm going to say. Yep. Um, as an athlete, you know uh, what feels right and what feels wrong. You know if your body doesn't quite feel right, whether you should push it for that last set or actually you feel your hamstring niggling. So don't push it. You know if you're kind of cheating on yourself, like, oh, you know, I actually was a bit too lazy today, but yeah. I really should have done it. Um, for me at the Olympics, I had, we had brand new um, equipment coming out, runners, which are like the tires on a car. We have the metal runners on the end of our sled. And I was meant to use these brand new ones that had been designed. A lot of money and research had gone into them. But, you know, for me, I knew I just hadn't had enough practice on them. I just wanted to use my favorite runners that I always use day in, day out. And that was my gut feeling. And, you know, I was brave enough to say, no, I, I don't want to use these other ones. They might on paper be faster, but I don't know them. Yeah. So listen to that gut, gut feeling. And, you know, for me, I knew I only raced well if I was just truly happy. So how can you create that happy bubble and just listen to yourself of, what makes you perform? What makes you happy daily? Because a happy athlete is one that 
has fun, that performs, that enjoys their sport and allows that performance to naturally come out of them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this day and age, even now, if I get a job that comes through and I'm like, oh, that's really good. It might be really great pay. But my gut is just saying, Amy, do not do it. This is yeah. not for you. And so I turn it down. You know, like I, I truly listen to that feeling of something doesn't feel quite right here. Actually, it's normally right. So just, um, yeah, listen to that internal voice inside of you. Great advice. And it's so important. Amy, thank you for joining me today. It has been unbelievable talking to you. And I've got no doubt this is going to help a lot of people with whatever their goals are in life. And I encourage everyone to pre-order your book. Thank you. Thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you. Oh, 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 oh,